Good evening. It's so good to be with you all. You can open your Bibles if you have them to the book of Judges. That's where we're going to be this evening. We're, we're in the book of Judges, but specifically looking at the battle of Gideon, Gideon's battle against the nation of Midian. And the reason we're, we're looking at this is because this is a story from the history of Israel where we'll see that God uses events and circumstances to reveal and create weakness in his people. And why does God do this? He does this because it brings him glory, but also because it is for our good. See, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is a call to us to embrace weakness. And that's the main idea today. That's the main idea for, for the message this morning. It's going to come up in just a second. And even if it doesn't, we have it right here. All right, it's coming up. Uh, the main idea today is that we should embrace weakness because it protects us from pride. We should embrace weakness, so a running away from leaning on human resources, wisdom, and strength. We should flee weak, oh, sorry, we should embrace weakness because it protects us from pride. But embracing weakness isn't easy because embracing weakness is to accept the reality of our need. And, and, and we don't like to do that because it makes us feel vulnerable and exposed. And, and so we would rather run from weakness than embrace it. But that's pride. And the Bible over and over again shows us the value of weakness, of embracing weakness and running from pride. The, the Bible shows us this. Look at Psalm 138. For though the Lord is high, so seated in majesty and glory, though he's high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. And then First Peter, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, when we choose pride over weakness, we're actually asking the Lord to oppose us. When we choose pride, we're asking the Lord to oppose us. But when we embrace weakness, God promises that he is near to us, and it also brings us underneath the waterfall of God's grace. So the passage we're looking at today shows us how God brings about weakness in the life of Gideon, and it's a reminder to us that should we embrace weakness, God works in mighty and powerful ways in our life. And the call is to embrace weakness. And so before we look to the passage, let's embrace our weakness, our need of, of the Lord, of his spirit to speak to us this evening by going to him in prayer. So would you join me by doing that? Father, we, we come to you recognizing our weakness. We recognize our, our absolute need of you, especially in times like this, when we look to your word. We don't trust in, in men or their wisdom. And so we pray that this evening that you would delight by the power of your spirit to communicate your truth to us. That it would be your words that are spoken, that it would be your thoughts that are communicated. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this evening. Help us to see your word more clearly. Help us to delight in Jesus Christ. Help us to pursue after you 
in a more passionate way as we leave this evening. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we're, we're looking at Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 22. So you can turn in your Bibles there. So the scene that we're in, Gideon is instructed by God to deliver his people from the nation of Midian. And as Gideon and his army, they get ready to fight, God sovereignly brings about weakness in their life. Uh, take, a, take a look at verse 1 and 2. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, verse 2, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. See, God brings about weakness sovereignly in the life of Gideon. Why? Because in our weakness, the Lord protects his glory. In our weakness, the Lord is working to protect his glory. See, as, as Gideon and his army get ready to fight the battle against the nation of Midian, the Lord raises a problem. He says in verse 2, the, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. See, this is not something that we would have expected in the middle of a battle. See, the, the Midian, Midianite army was huge. Verse 12, later in the passage, tells us that the army was like a swarm of locusts. They couldn't be counted. And so you would expect the Lord instead to tell, tell Gideon and his army, you have too little, you need more people. But, but God doesn't tell that to Gideon. He says, he gives us the reason why he says, there's too many of you. Verse two, let Israel boast, lest Israel boast over me, saying my own hand has saved me. See, God is revealing our human tendency to boast and to steal glory from the Lord. God knows that with the size of the Israelite army the way it is, that should they win against the nation of Midian, Israel would claim glory for themselves. And so God wants it to be clear to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Midian, and to all the other nations that were watching, that it was God alone that saved them. He wants to make it absolutely clear that it is God alone who is going to save them. See, our weakness is a platform for God to display his glory and power. It's, it's a platform for God to display his glory and power, not only to us, but to all who are watching. Here's what, what John Piper says. He says, God loves to do things in a way that seems foolish to men but displays his glory more clearly. Build an ark in the desert. Escape through, not around the Red Sea. Speak to a rock when you need water. March around a wall city and blow trumpets when you want to defeat a city. Send a boy with a slingshot when there's a giant in the land. Pour water on wood at Mount Carmel before you ask fire to fall from heaven. Tell 12 men to feed five thousand with only five loaves and two fish. 
See, God loves to do things in a way that seems foolish to men, but displays his glory more clearly. And see, this is what God has done for us in the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, the cross, the ultimate picture of, wisdom, of weakness was seen by the Jews as a stumbling block and the Greeks as foolishness. But God used this display of weakness as an instrument to save his people and to bring him the most glory. See, the cross also removes every opportunity for us to boast in ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. See, the cross is a reminder that God alone has saved us by his grace. That there was nothing that we could do, but in his grace and mercy towards us, he saved us through the greatest display of weakness in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean for, for the unbeliever? Well, this is great news because the gift of faith is also available to you. Because there's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that you could have done that would have saved you. But the cross of Jesus Christ is, has accomplished what we never could. And so we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ who paid for our sins by his death on the cross. The, the offer is available to you. Simply have faith and believe. And so God, it works in our weakness to remove any chance for boasting. And this is what he does in the life of Gideon. So to remove any chance of boasting, he tells Gideon to reduce his army in two different ways. First, he tells those who are scared to go home. Look at verse three in the text. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So he tells those who are scared to go home. And God does this because this was an instruction that he actually gave to the people of Israel as an instruction to them in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 8 says, And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house. And this is the reason why. Lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. See, the reality of fear is that it's infectious. It spreads. And, and, and we all experience this. I experience this. If I'm on social media or if I'm scrolling through my news feed and, and fearful headlines are all over, it's, it's infectious. It becomes to overwhelm me. It, it overwhelms us as people. Fear is infectious. And in times of fear, when fear overwhelms us in these times, we ought to look to replace that fear. We fight that fear by replacing it with faith. We replace fear 
with faith. And we do that by looking to God's word and his promises. See, there's, there's many things that can cause us to fear, many sources of fear. So when we, when we have the fear of loneliness, we look to the promise of God's constant presence with us. When we fear the, the chaos in the culture, we look to his promise of absolute control and the promise that he will do justice at the end. When, we, when we're fearful of the future and anxious of the unknown, we, we look to the promise that he knows everything. When we're fearful of our finances and how we're gonna make ends meet, we look to the promise that he provides all things to us and that there's treasure that cannot be stolen or wrought in heaven waiting for us, a heavenly treasure. When we're fearful of, of sickness and disease, we look to his promise of the resurrection and, and a resurrected body and eternal life where none of that will exist. When we're fearful of disunity amongst believers, we look to the promise that Christ has said that he will build his church and that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. When we are fearful, we seek to replace those fears with faith in God's promises in his word. And so we look at his word, we build up our faith in Christ through his word. So God tells Gideon that, that those who are scared should leave. And what ends up happening, Gideon loses two-thirds of his army. He goes from 32,000, and he loses 22,000 of them, and is left with only 10. And you would think, now is a good time to go in battle before we lose any more. But the Lord says, that's still too much. So God reduces the army again through a drinking test. Look at, look at verses 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. See, the Bible doesn't tell us the difference between the, these two different kinds of drinkers. What the Bible is trying to tell us again and again, especially in this passage, is, is that there's no reason for Gideon and his army to boast. Because God is stripping them of their strength and bringing them to a place of weakness. God wants to remove any chance of boasting. And so Gideon is left with only 300 men. And so by this point, any confidence that Gideon and his army had in their own strength is gone. Any confidence that they had that they would accomplish this victory, that they would win against this locust swarm of an army of the nation of Midian was gone. 
But this is a good thing because God brings weakness into our lives to expose pride. He's using weakness to expose the things that we have trusted in and and leaned upon and had faith in over and above God. And this is a good thing because when God strips those things from us, it reminds us that our faith and our trust should be in God alone. And so as we lean into him, we grow greater faith and dependence and trust in God alone. And this brings him more glory and it welcomes his power into our life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, the Christian celebrates weakness because it displays God's power and his glory, and it keeps us from pride. And so in the moments that you are feeling weak, in the moments that, that we feel weak, we, we shouldn't run from it. We embrace it. Why? Because that is the best place that we could ever be. Weakness is the place where God brings his power into our life. Weakness is the place where God works for the sake of his glory. And so as Christians, we shouldn't run from weakness, but we should run to it. We embrace weakness because that's where God will display his glory. Weakness is a place where true strength is found. Do you see what what Paul said? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness is a place where God's strength is displayed. And so we embrace weakness. In our weakness, God protects his glory. But in our weakness, the Lord also gives us his assurance. See, after the reduction of Gideon's army, God tells him to finally go and fight the battle. Look at verse nine. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down from the camp, for I have given it into your hands. Do you see what's happened? Look at, look at verse two and verse seven. Verse two, uh, verse, uh, the, lest Israel boast over me, uh, saying my own hand has saved me. Uh, it's too, the people with you are too many to give into your hand. And then verse seven, uh, and the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. He says, I will give you, I will give you into your hands. But look at verse nine, look at the change. He says, I have given them into your hands. See, the, the Lord has says, I've already won the battle. It's, it's done. They're in your hands. All you ought to do is go and fight them. See, the Lord has already won the battle. Gideon and his 300 men army go down to fight a battle that's already been won by the Lord. They go down to fight a battle that the Lord has already said has been won by him. And as Christians, that's the reality that we walk in. We fight against a defeated enemy. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has won the victory. We walk in that reality that sin and death has been defeated. 
And so we don't walk as those who fight against an enemy who has power over us. But Jesus Christ has already won. And so we walk in that reality. But like Gideon, because of our weakness and our frailty of faith, and at times when we, when we struggle, we, we can grow fearful like Gideon. Look at verse 10. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand will be strengthened to go down against the camp. The Lord sees the fear of Gideon, but he, he doesn't punish him. Look at the kindness of God, that even though God has already said, I've won the battle, even though the word of God should be enough for Gideon to take, at, take God at his word and to go and fight the battle, the Lord in his kindness sees the weakness of his servants and gives him a sign. So for the purpose to grow his faith and to give him assurance. This is God's kindness to Gideon. This is God's kindness to us. And then look at verse 12. So Gideon goes down, and then the, the author of Judges shows us again the, the vastness of the army of Midian. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as sand that is on a seashore in abundance. See, the author over and over and over again is reminding us of the vastness of the size of the army of Midian. And the reason he's doing this is because it, the author wants to make it clear to us that there's no way that the army of 300 Israelites is ever gonna win unless, unless the Lord fights for them. And that's the whole purpose. Look at verse 13 and 14. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down and that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. See, the exact same promise that God gave to Gideon in verse 9 is the same words that proceed out of the mouth of Gideon's enemy. See, God in his kindness shows Gideon that he has nothing to fear. God himself has given the promise, but now he hears the promise from the mouth of his enemy. God in his kindness is building up Gideon's faith. What we shouldn't miss in this whole scene is what all of these verses tell us about the nature and the character of God. Look how patient and long-suffering God is with his servants. See, God doesn't get frustrated with us when he see, sees the weakness and the frailty of our faith. God doesn't get frustrated or angry or seek to punish us. Instead, in his grace, he, he, he seeks to build us up and, and by the promises of his word to mature us in our faith. And he gives us his assurance. But we also see the sovereignty and the providence of God. God orchestrated everything. Think about it. The dream, 
The timing of the conversation between one comrade to another, the interpretation of the dream, the fact that Gideon would show up at the right time, all of that was God's sovereignty and providence. See, God used all of these things not only to bring about weakness in the life of Gideon, but to build up his faith in the right thing, not himself, but in the Lord his God. So in the moments that we feel weakness and frailty of faith, we we shouldn't go about thinking that we're going to face the disappointment and the frustration of God. Instead, we should be confident that we, we experience his patience towards us, that we look to his word and his promises and that the Lord seeks to build up our faith in him through his word. And as God arranges everything, as he orchestrates events and circumstances to bring about our weakness, we know he's doing all of this because he's fully in control and he's doing all of these things to build up our faith in him. See, God is sovereign over all things, but he's also good. He cares for us. And so all that he does is out of his care for us. All of these things should result in a response like Gideon. Look at verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And as he returned to the camp of Israel, he said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. As soon as he hears the assurance of God, he sees the patience and the long-suffering of God and his sovereignty over all things and the promise that God will deliver them even in their weakness. What does he do? He worships and, and is ready to obey. See, we embrace weakness because it protects us from the pridefulness of self-reliance and it drives us to greater reliance on God and the promise of assurance that he offers. Because we know that God is sovereign, because we know that he's always patient and long-suffering with us, we're able to respond in worship and readiness to obey. So the Lord, in Gideon's weakness, gives him assurance, gives us assurance. But in our weakness, the Lord also provides his strength. In our weakness, the Lord provides his strength So encouraged by the promises that God has made to him, Gideon then goes back to his people. He goes back to his army and encourages the army with the exact same words that God gave him. Look at the encouragement that Gideon gives to his army. Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. See, this is good biblical encouragement. What we don't see is, is one of those halftime locker room speeches. We don't see Gideon going to his army and said, you know, your whole life has been leading up to this moment. You know, we've trained for the last year for this. You can do it. What we don't see is that. What we see is Gideon saying, here's what the Lord has promised to you. See, what the the author is showing us is it isn't in the strength of the army that deliverance will come. It isn't in the strength of the army. What we see is God promising to his people that even in their weakness, God will show up in power to deliver his people. 
That even in their weakness, God will show up in power to deliver his people. See, that's good encouragement. Reminding one another of the promises of God. That that as we remember that our confidence lays not in ourselves, but it's our confidence truly lies in our weakness. We are confident in our weakness because in our weakness, that's where God promises to display and give his strength. In our weakness, that's when we're truly strong. Again, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We live in our weakness because in our weakness, that's how we live in the strength that God provides. And we see the result of this encouragement. Look at verse 16. He says, sorry, verse 15. Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands. And all of them, uh, trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jar. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on each side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and 300 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp and the beginning of the middle of the watch, and they had just set the watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew their trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hand the the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. We see the result of Gideon's encouragement. So that the army of 300 men, the 300 Israelites, courageously follow Gideon into battle. But make no mistake, notice what their, what their weapons were. Jars, torches, and trumpets. That, those were their weapons. Jars, torches, and trumpets. You know, there's a saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You don't bring jars, torches, and trumpets to, against a, a vast army who's armed to the teeth. That's just, there's no good that can come out of that. See, the point of what the author's trying to teach us isn't the ingenuity of Gideon and trying to figure out how to creatively use their lack of weapons to scare a vast army. That's not what the, the author is trying to tell us. Again and again, is showing us how weak the army is. See, an army isn't going to win a battle with torches, jars, and trumpets. The Lord has to fight for them. And that's what we see in the weakness of the army. The Lord displays his strength. Look at verse 22. When, the, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah and Zerahah and as far as the border of Abalel, Mohalah, and Tabath that the Lord did this. Verse two, when they blew the trumpets, what happened? The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade. See, the army just stood there with jars, trumpets, and torches. But the Lord worked in that and fought the battle for them. Again, 
in the weakness of Israel, the Lord fights a battle and delivers his people out of the hands of their oppressors. This whole story was showing us how God as the gracious king delivers his people. But what we see throughout the book of Judges at the very last verse is this reality, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, the people had abandoned God as king and embraced pride rather than running to weakness. They would rather be prideful and abandon God as king than embrace weakness and embrace God as king. So in their abandoning of God, it resulted at problem after problem. And just like the people in the book of Judges, we have abandoned our king, that we have done what is right in our own eyes. And that resulted in the, the problem of our sin, our problem with death. But God, just like how he delivered Israel from Midian, despite his people's sin, despite his people's weakness, the Lord promises to deliver us. Look at his promise in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. God in his kindness promised, even in our rejection of a king, to send us a king who would deliver us. And this promised king was his son, Jesus Christ. Here's how Matthew puts it. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, King Jesus rode on a donkey and he brought salvation not by military conquest, but by going into Jerusalem to die on a cross. See, Jesus, unlike us, embraced ultimate and complete weakness. And through his weakness, God used it to display his power and his glory by saving his people and giving life to all who would trust in him. See, we embrace weakness because it protects us from pride. But we can now readily do that. We can readily and joyfully embrace weakness because we have a God and Savior who did. And we gladly follow the example that he gave to us, empowered by his Spirit. Let's pray together. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that it teaches us about ourselves and all that it teaches us about you. That though, yes, we are weak and, and, and many times frail and weak in our faith, that you are kind to us. 
that you have not abandoned us, but in our weakness, you display your glory, your power, and your strength. And so we pray that this evening, as we've heard your word, we pray your spirit would delight to bring us into further weakness, that you'd help us to see the value of of weakness, embracing it and running from pride because there it is where true strength is found. Help us to delight in the work of Jesus Christ who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. And so would we have the same mind? Would we likewise follow his example empowered by your spirit to embrace weakness because there It is there where you display your glory, where we find your promises, and where you deliver us in your strength. Help us this week cause your word to take deep root in our hearts. Bear much fruit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.